Good to see everyone tonight. Uh, I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. We're going to try to cover this whole chapter. Kind of reminds me of what Brother Ellie Wisham used to say. He was a very fast talker. And when he would preach, he put a lot of scripture in his sermon. And so he said, you know what that means? That just means you got to listen fast. So tonight you may have to listen fast. You may have to write fast. But also I will remind you that these lessons are being recorded. So if you don't get it all, you can get a copy or you can uh, do the podcast or whatever it is that's going on. And uh, you can listen to it on there if you... Uh, know enough about that kind of stuff to do that. If not, Libby will help you with it. Uh, volunteer her. And so you can slow it down. Uh, yeah, there is some uh, drawings on the back table uh, for you to pick up on your way out. Uh, Cindy has graciously done that for us. Uh, there's not that much to write on those. You can just get them and put them with your notes. But uh, it's actually what we're going to study tonight. I want to thank Cindy again for writing, taking the time to put this on the whiteboard to give uh, each of you a visual of what we're going to study tonight, uh, but also remember to get your copy on your way out and so you can put it in your notebook. Uh, that's what I'm doing with them, and some of them you'll have more things to write and fill in uh, than others. Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. Verse 3, How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. The Babylonian king wanted the whole world then, as well as the world today, to know who is the superior king. Remember, Daniel, superior king, superior kingdom. We're going to see that again in chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar wants all people, nations, and languages to know of his conversion experience. At this particular time, he's already been converted, but he's going to tell how that came about. This king is expressing his great faith in the Most High God, he wants all people to know of the greatness of God's signs and wonders. Now the signs are miracles that signify something. And wonders is what the miracles cause. When people saw these signs, when they saw these miracles, it makes them to be in wonder. It is possible, is it possible rather, that this high-minded, conceited, arrogant, ruthless king has finally accepted the fact that there is only one God and he is the reason that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom is so great? The answer to that is yes, indeed. What humbled him to this point? He had witnessed the greatness and the power and the superiority of God several times in his life before this, yet he had not converted. Each time he witnessed God's workings, he appreciated God more, he had more faith in God, but he never had really converted. You remember in the first year of his reign, 
he saw God make Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ten times greater or better than all the other wise men of Babylon. That was Daniel chapter 1, verse 20. In the second year of his reign, he saw God cause him to dream dreams. And one of those dreams, you remember, was of that great colossal image. And none of his men, none of his wise men, could tell him the dream or the interpretation of the dream. But Daniel did, because God gave him the dream and the interpretation. In the uh, later, in chapter 3, we study that he also saw God deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the king's fiery furnace that had been heated seven times hotter than normal. Their hair was not singed. Their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. They walked right out of the fire. God was determined to humble Nebuchadnezzar to the place of believing that he, that's God, is the one and only God, and there is none other like him. He is a superior king, and his kingdom is everlasting and superior to all other kingdoms. The king is at that place. And now he is going to show how God got him there. Verse 4, chapter 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians and the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. Now Nebuchadnezzar takes us back to the time, in time, and begins to tell his experience or his story that changed him completely. He said he was resting in his house, or it could be said that he was secure in his house. That's what that word means. Bottom line, he had no problems, he had no cares. He was doing well in his house and was flourishing or prosperous. The king, with God's help, had conquered the world. You could say he had it made. He was kicked back, taking it easy. He'd had everything that his heart could desire. He was a king among kings. Again, he dreamed a dream that frightened him. Sound familiar? And just like before, he called his wise men in to interpret his dream. Unlike the dream recorded in chapter 2, where he did not give them the dream, this time he did. He's making it a lot easier on them. But just like before, his wise men let him down because they could not give him the interpretation of the dream. This dream was far more uh, specific than the dream 
that we studied about in Daniel chapter 2. That dream, as you remember, was about several kingdoms, including God's eternal kingdom. This one, however, is just about more one specific person. Verse 8, Daniel 4. Daniel, at the, but at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. And in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen, and the interpretation thereof. One cannot help but to wonder why the king did not send for Daniel to start with. He had already elevated him because of his ability to reveal secrets because of his God. He had proven that he was far superior to the magicians and the astrologers and the Chaldeans and all the soothsayers. Nebuchadnezzar does not say as he is telling this, though, that he actually even sent for Daniel. It just says that Daniel came in. The king reminds his readers that Daniel's name had been changed to Belteshazzar after his God. That was Daniel chapter 1 verse 7. He was rather proud of the fact that he had changed Daniel's name uh, to, from Daniel, which that name meant Baal, which was a false god, Baal prince or protector. Some say it meant the, the treasure of Baal. He was promoted to master of the magicians most likely after he had made the king's dream and the interpretation known to him back in Daniel chapter 2 about verse 47. Most likely right in there was when he was elevated and uh, to a high position. Belteshazzar was Daniel's court name. And so in this chapter you're going to see it used quite often, probably more than Daniel. The king knew he could put confidence in Daniel because he remembered that Daniel had previously given him the interpretation of the dream of the colossal image and perhaps even more impressive was the fact that he was able to give the king the very dream that he dreamed. In Daniel chapter 2 verse 9 and 10 The Bible says, the king speaking there, but if you will not make known unto me the dream, talking to his wise men, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I, will, and I shall know that ye shall show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is no man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. You see, Daniel could have, if he knew the dream, he could just make up an interpretation. These men could have, but they didn't know the dream, and if they tried to make up an interpretation, didn't go with the dream, they would have been busted. And so really it would be one thing to, to try to dream up a, an interpretation to a dream, but but what would be, what's really, really impressive, that's impressive enough, 
the fact that he could tell the king the very dream that he dreamed. That's impressive. Who can do that? Well, his men said no one could do it. But they were wrong. Daniel did it. Also keep in mind that at that time of this dream of the tree, Nebuchadnezzar was not an atheist, and he truly believed in higher powers. He believed that Daniel's, he believed in Daniel's God, but as the most high God among gods. You remember after God had delivered Meshach, Terech, and Abednego from the king's fire, the Bible says in Daniel 3, 20, verse 26, Daniel chapter 3, verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace, and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come thither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And so there he, he acknowledges their God as being the Most High God. But he doesn't acknowledge him as being the one and only God. Now, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 10, Thus were the visions of my mine head in my bed. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached into heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh were fed of it. I saw in the vision of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, You down the tree, Cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it, and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from a man's, and let a beast heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. Now Nebuchadnezzar tells what he dreamed. He saw a tree in the midst of the earth. It was a center of attraction in a large territory. Just as you see on Cindy's drawing, the tree in the center, and it is much larger than all the rest. The tree grew much taller than all the other trees. The leaves provided the tree with its great beauty, its glory. The fruit of the tree provided nourishment for all flesh. The beasts of the field enjoyed the tree's shade, and the birds of the air rested upon its limbs. The watcher and the holy one was probably the same being, Thus, the singular pronoun he is used. The watcher was actually a holy guardian 
angel of, of some sort. So the, the watcher had to do with being a guardian, and of course angels are holy ones, and so you put it together and you've got a holy guardian angel that came. He gave commandment, uh, it was in the dream, he, came, he gave commandment for the tree to be stripped of its glory and usefulness. The angel also gave orders for the tree to be cut down and its branches, leaves, and fruit to be removed from it. And all of the animals and birds were to get away from the tree. The watcher also commanded the stump of this great tree to be left and a band of iron and brass be put around it. I suppose the band was placed around the stump to hold it together to keep it from splitting. I tried to see what they represented, the iron and brass. I'm sure there are people that have something that they represent, but I didn't see that. So uh, the closest or the, the best explanation I could find for that was when, a, when the tree is cut, if the, you have the, the stump is still there, well, the sun will shine into that stump and will dry the stump out. And then uh, once that happens, it will begin to split or splinter. And then, of course, the roots will die. And so I believe that the band was put around to hold the stump tight together so it wouldn't come apart, so it would remain in good shape uh, for what's going to happen uh, a little bit later. And so that's uh, the best I could come up with uh, with that about the bands. The uh, tender grass shows that the tree was in a place where there was plenty of moisture. The dew of heaven would water the stump to keep it from drying out. We read something somewhat like this in Job chapter 14. In verse 7, I'm not going to say 1 and 2 again. I'm just going to say 7 through 9, Job 14. For there is... No, for there is hope of a tree if it be cut down that it will sprout again and that the tender branch thereof will not cease though the root thereof wax old in the tree and the stalk thereof die in the ground yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth uh, boughs like a plant and so if you know anything about a popcorn tree, cut one of those things down and see what happens. If you cut it, it's going to sprout back out and it's going to be much thicker and bushier than ever before. And every time you cut a limb, it's going to sprout more and more and more and more. And so that's why the, uh, the stump was left up. Also notice that the tree had a man's heart. Think about that. The pronouns that Nebuchadnezzar used when talking about the tree actually change in his conversation. He changed from it to his. His branches, his leaves, his fruit, his roots, his portion, and his heart. The watcher commanded for the man's heart to be changed to a beast heart. Having a beast heart just simply means he would think like a beast instead of like a human being. The tree was to have a beast heart until seven times had passed. 
implication is that after the seven times had passed, the tree's heart would return to a man's heart. Verse 17 of Daniel 4. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Now, this is interesting to me. The same Hebrew word that was used for in Daniel chapter 4, 13, and was translated watcher and holy one, the same word is used, but this time it's in a plural form. Watchers, holy ones. I don't understand exactly why that is, but the best I could find on that I found in my power Bible under the uh, PLWL commentary, and it was along several names, so I just, I'm going to give you PLWL. If you don't know what that is, get your power Bible out. But this is what that commentary says. Watchers and holy ones are here spoken of in the plural number, whereas the words are in the singular, just like Daniel 4.13, which difference may thus be accounted for that the sentence was pronounced at the point, at the joint request of many but was to be put in execution by a single angel. So whether it's talking about one holy one or multiple holy ones, it, it is actually singular, translated plural, but that's what angels are called many times, holy ones. It really doesn't have a lot to do with the, with the big picture you're trying to get at anyhow, but uh, there's some study for you right there. Okay, we also know the purpose of the dream being given to the king and, and what is to come from it. Uh, he mentions in, in verse 17 that we just read when he says, To the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. Now that's good for us to remember, especially at our time, to know that just as God was in control then, just as God was the reason behind Nebuchadnezzar being the king and Babylon being the world empire, the same thing happens today. God's in control. He puts kings in high places and he takes kings down. You remember what Daniel had said earlier in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. That's what Daniel's God did and does, and our God does, the same God. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, 
that God put the basis or the lowliest of men over the kingdom of men. Nebuchadnezzar knew his dream, but he did not understand the meaning of this dream. Again, his wise men could not help him. I don't know why he kept these guys around. They failed him every time. But as we continue to study through the book of Daniel, we will see that that's what these kings used these wise men for. Belshazzar does the same thing. When he sees the writing on the wall, he calls in his wise men to interpret the, dream, the, the writing on the wall, to tell him what it means. And guess what? They are not successful again. They fail the kings over and over again. Of course, we understand no man can tell a man what he dreamed. No man has that ability without God's help. It takes God to be able to do that. Also, you'll notice he talks about, now this is before his conversion. He's, he's giving his account of how he was converted, okay? So at the time that this was actually happening, he was still believing in the holy gods, little g and plural, okay? At the beginning of the chapter, he's been converted, but right now he's given his kind of his conversion experience. He wants everybody to know how that came about and how he reached the conclusion uh, that he had. So in Daniel uh, chapter 4, verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. When Daniel first received this interpretation, he was actually stricken dumb. For one hour, he couldn't even talk. Notice how the American Standard words this. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was stricken dumb for a while, and his thoughts troubled him. And so when he received that interpretation, he just got quiet. He couldn't say anything. Why did the interpretation trouble him so? You remember, Daniel is a slave. Now, he's a very well-treated slave because of the providence of God, but he's a slave. He's a slave to a very wicked king, a king that had killed many of his own people, many of, of Daniel's own people. But yet at the same time, he was really troubled by the interpretation of that dream. Daniel had served Nebuchadnezzar for almost four decades. And during that time, he had developed a respect and had formed, in some sense, a bond with this king. The dream did not favor the king at all. And so it greatly troubled Daniel for the king's sake. The king is still very anxious to hear the dream's interpretation. So he wants Daniel to say on. Give me what you see. Don't hold back. Don't keep back. I want it. And so in verse 14, the latter part, I mean 19b, the latter part of Verse 19 of Daniel 4, it says, uh, Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest which grew, 
and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beast of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowl of the heavens had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reached unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven, and saying, Hew the tree down, and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field, till seven times pass over him. And so here's the dream. You have a huge tree, and that tree is going to be hewed down, and that tree represents none other than Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. So, Daniel points out that the king's enemies are going to be very pleased with the interpretation of this dream. Having held this high and lofty position of ruler of the world for so long, he, it naturally caused Nebuchadnezzar to have a lot of enemies. Anytime you're in a high position like that, you're going to have to make decisions that some people are not going to like. Plus, there are going to be those that's just flat out going to oppose you. Uh, look at what our president's going through right now. Look what he's been going through. Uh, no matter what he does, no matter what he says, he's going to be opposed on one side or the other. It's not just with the president we have now. It will be with the next president. That's just the way it is. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, having reigned for nearly 40 years, you can imagine the number of enemies that he had. Daniel begins giving the interpretation of the dream by pointing out to the king that he is the tree that had grown and towered over all others. He was, as the Bible teaches, the king of, a, of all the kings at that particular time. He was the greatest king on the earth at that time. This meant that this dream is about Nebuchadnezzar. It's very specific. God had blessed Nebuchadnezzar and made him a king of kings. Daniel chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. The Bible says, Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. So, you can see how God had elevated, he had exalted Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he was the king uh, uh, over the world empire at that particular time. But, here's the dream. Nebuchadnezzar, that Babylonian king that was so great, so mighty, so powerful, he's fixing to fall like a big tree. Verse 24, Daniel 4. 
This is the interpretation. O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which is come upon my Lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. So Daniel continues the interpretation. And he makes sure that the king knows that the God of heaven is the power behind what is about to happen in his life. Notice, he didn't take credit for himself. He makes sure that he knows ahead of time. Once again, God reveals through a prophet what he's going to do before he does it. Remember when we studied Amos? Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. So before God would do something, he would always reveal to the prophets, and the prophets would tell the people what God was about to do. No difference here. Nebuchadnezzar receives a dream. He has to go to Daniel, God's prophet, to be able to interpret that dream. And so Daniel's able to tell the king what's going to happen, who's doing it, before it ever happens. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be driven from men, but not by men. Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, the American Standard words it this way, that thou shalt be driven from men. It doesn't really say how. It's worded a little bit different uh, than the King James. He would be driven from men by a mental disorder. Daniel chapter 4, verse 16. Remember this. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given to him, and let seven times pass over him. He would live with a wild beast and eat grass like a wild ox or a donkey. Is this to be taken literally or, or not? Would the great and mighty and powerful king of Babylon actually be seen eating grass like a wild beast? Yes, he would. It's very literal. In my research on, on all of this and this mental disorder, I found that there is a man by the name uh, there was a man by the name of R.K. Harrison in his book in, that was entitled Introduction to the Old Testament on page uh, 1115 and 1116. He wrote this concerning Nebuchadnezzar's mental illness. I may not pronounce all this exactly right, but uh, you smart people, you'll figure it out. The illness described in Daniel, and this is a quote however, constitutes a rare form of monomania. 
a condition of mental imbalance in which the sufferer is deranged in one significant area only. The particular variety of monomania described is known as boanthropy. It's got Bowen on the front of it, by the way. I noticed that. B-O-A-N-thropy. But I think that's boanth boanthropy. Another rare condition in which Nebuchadnezzar imagined himself to be a cow or a bull and acted accordingly. R.K. Harrison also wrote that in 1946, in a British mental institution, he observed a patient with the same mental illness. Harrison said, this man's daily diet, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing this part, his daily diet consisted of grass that he plucked from the hospital lawn and water that he was served in a clean container so he would not drink out of muddy puddles. Watch him, Beth. Harrison concluded, and this is a quote, without institutional care, the patient would have manifested precisely the same physical conditions as those mentioned in Daniel chapter 4, verse 33. So, the king would be driven from his throne until seven times did pass. Did seven times, and this is one I really couldn't get a definite answer on, did seven times mean a period of seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years? Or, you know, sometimes seven just is symbolic for a complete period of time. And so, which one was it? I'm not exactly sure, but most commentators believe that it means seven months or seven years. Brother Rex Turner Sr. says in his commentary on the book of Daniel, he says, one can hardly expect Nebuchadnezzar to be restored to his throne after an absence of seven years. But seven days or seven weeks would hardly be a period sufficiently long enough to be a respectable time for Nebuchadnezzar to be removed from his throne, whereas seven months would be both sufficiently long and or short for him to be removed and then restored before his enemies could well prevail. And so Brother Turner believes it was seven months. Many, like E.M. Zare and Moffat, some of your commentators, they believe that it was seven years. And then there's others like Leon Stancliffe. He wrote, and this is what he said, the seven times may or may not be seven years. So that's kind of where I am. It may or may not be. I don't know exactly. I have always thought seven years. But that is a long time for a man to be off of his throne and of course, when he was, uh, during this time of mental illness that God put on him, he had to have Daniel and some of his higher officers to, to take care of things until uh, he recovered to be able to come back. And so, seven years is a pretty long time. So it may be seven months, but this is, this is what I've always thought about. It had to be long enough 
that what Daniel, what was said in Daniel 4.33 took place, and that is, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. Now, I don't know how long that would take, but I would think it would take a pretty good while. Uh, I've never went that long without a haircut or my fingernails clipped, so I really don't know exactly. One of you men could experiment for us, I guess, and we'd go seven months and see what you look like, and if that's not it, we'll let you go seven years. But I, I really don't know. But it, it does seem like a long time to be off the throne, but at the same time, it would take a while to have coarse hair uh, like eagle's feathers and have nails like bird claws. So but, but maybe you could do that in, in seven months. I, I don't know. But I would say somewhere, I think, seven months, seven years. One thing we know for sure, and this is what's most important, is that his mental illness would continue again till or until as Daniel said in Daniel 4:24, thou know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and so he was not going to be back on that throne he was not going to be in his right mind until he acknowledged and came uh, to the realization that God is in control and always has been and it was not Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel then explained that the stump of the tree roots being left meant that after the seven months or the seven years were passed, if Nebuchadnezzar had learned the lesson and accepted the truth that heaven rules in the affairs of men, his kingdom would be restored to him. Verse 27 of Daniel 4. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. After Daniel gives Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of the dream, he then gives the king some very wise advice. Daniel's advice to Nebuchadnezzar sounds uh, much like Isaiah's advice to the nation of Judah back in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, when he said, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And so what he's saying to the king is it's not enough to just stop doing evil you must stop doing evil but also start doing good start doing righteousness right things Daniel was pleading with the king to repent and to obey God if perhaps the length of the king's tranquility uh, it would be lengthened God would lengthen that tranquility here really means security or or prosperity. As Daniel chapter 4 verse 27 in the uh, New King James says, perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. And then you remember back in Daniel 4 verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest. That word rest really is the same idea that of prosperity, rest. And so what Daniel is saying is if you'll put off your wicked ways and accept God's ways, perhaps 
your prosperity will continue to last even longer. Did the king heed Daniel's advice? Did he break off his sins? Did he give up his false gods? Did he break off his sin of arrogance? Did he begin to care for the poor? Did he convert to the God of Daniel? The king did not change. After all that he had seen in his days, all that God had done with him, he now has this dream. The interpretation is there. It is specifically about him. He's told what's going to happen to him. He's told he's going to eat grass like an ox. He's going to lose his mind. He's going to have a beast heart. But he still doesn't change. So, verse 28. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. And the, at the end of twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the, uh, the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was yet in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Everything that Daniel saw in the dream happened to the king, which we would expect since it was from God. God is a promise-keeping God. When he says something's going to happen, you just better get ready for it to happen because it's going to happen. It was 12 months after Daniel interpreted the king's dream when the king was boasting of his accomplishments and bragging on himself, his arrogant self, that a voice from heaven spoke to him and the dream began to be fulfilled. He had failed to give God the credit and the glory that was rightfully due him. Nebuchadnezzar really needed to hear the parable that was spoken by Jesus in Luke chapter 12 verse 16 about the rich man you remember the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful and he thought within himself saying what shall I do because I notice all these personal pronouns and, and possessive pronouns I have no room where to bestow my fruits and he said this I this will I do. I will pull down my barn and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, 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 that has much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't it? He was at ease. He was at rest in his house. He was prospering. He had it made. Look at what all Nebuchadnezzar had accomplished. Look at verse 20. But God said unto him, Thy fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Sounds a lot like Nebuchadnezzar. 
What about King Herod? Same thing. Acts chapter 12, verse 21 through 23. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because, notice this, he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Listen, I still contend, I still believe that one of man's most difficult challenges is to overcome the desire of wanting to be a God. That's what tempted Adam and Eve in the very beginning. You'll be as gods. Anytime man steps in and tries to take what rightfully belongs to God, he's trying to be a God himself. And when he starts making laws where God has not, he's wanting to be God himself. Man wants the praises of God. That's why you have so much problem with the Pharisees and their hypocrisy because they were always doing things to be seen of men. Why? Because they wanted praise. That's a, Really, that's the thing that got uh, those in uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Same thing. They wanted to be praised. They wanted to receive glory that really belonged to God. And so they lied to the Holy Spirit. And so man has to be careful of that. You don't have to be a king to have this problem and to lose your soul over it. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 33, the same hour was the thing fulfilled in the Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men, and he did eat grass as an ox, oxen, and as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. In the same hour, God inflicted Nebuchadnezzar with this mental disorder. And he left his throne and started gazing in the meadow like a wild ox. He was given the heart or the mind of a beast. Therefore, he did not practice proper hygiene. So his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. This story is brought up later in chapter 5 when King Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall and he's afraid. In chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, but when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the high, most high God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. And so that will be mentioned again when we get to Chapter 5. Now, chapter 4, verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are imputed as nothing 
and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, Why doest thou? At the end of the seven times, Nebuchadnezzar's mind was restored to him. He remembered what had happened to him, and he praised God. His heart had finally been humbled, and he was a changed man. What a confession of faith he makes at the end of this chapter. He finally realized that the God of heaven is the superior kingdom, and his kingdom is unmatched. He learned that when man is compared to God, man is nothing, including Nebuchadnezzar. He now knows that God has always been in control. This man went from being an idolater that believed in many gods to believing in one God who is over both heaven and earth. The king now understands that God's will shall be done and no one has the right to question God because he's the creator of all. Verse 36. Nope. Yep. Verse 36. At the, the same time my reason returned unto me and for the glory of my kingdom mine honor and brightness returned unto me and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Nebuchadnezzar said that his reason returned unto him. It was the same as he said earlier, his understanding returned unto him. His reasoning, his understanding. At that time, his kingdom with all of its glory and grandeur was restored to him just as it had been promised in the dream. Now, so, so what did it take to humble Nebuchadnezzar? Well, for him, he had to lose his mind and compete with the wild beast in the field for his daily grass. I sure wouldn't want to be that stubborn and hard-headed, would you? The sooner people learn to submit to Almighty God, the better life is for them. But this one, he was really a case. He was a hard-headed rascal. Now that you have seen just how patient and long-suffering God was with this prideful, arrogant, and ruthless man, you too, uh, and ruthless man, you see what God will go through to save a person. You see what he did for Nebuchadnezzar? You see how he kept working through his providence with Nebuchadnezzar and also through these dreams and special providence, through his signs and his wonders, miracles. God just kept working with Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar rejected him. He worked with him some more, some more, some more. We went through four chapters and God kept pulling Nebuchadnezzar closer and closer and closer till finally he broke him. You see, God wants everyone to be saved, even old Nebuchadnezzar. 
If he wants Nebuchadnezzar to be saved, he wants us to be saved. I'm thankful that the same God that worked with Nebuchadnezzar is working with me today. The same God that wanted him to be saved wants me to be saved. He wants you to be saved. He wants our enemies, if we have any, to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I would have given up on Nebuchadnezzar from the beginning because I'm not God. The first time he did something to some of my people that was not pleasant, I would have been done with that guy, but not God, not God. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8, But God commends his love toward us, and that while... We were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Brothers and sisters, if God would do all of this to save old Nebuchadnezzar, then there's hope for every one of us. And that's what I get from chapter 4. There's hope. Just like there was hope for old Nebuchadnezzar, there's hope for old Mike Ray. And there's hope for each one of you because we have a God that we serve who provides us with hope because he loves us and he's made a way for us to be saved in spite of our own imperfections, in spite of our human weaknesses, in, in spite of our frailties. If we will search after him, if we will accept him and acknowledge him as the one and only God and we will follow his teachings he will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves he'll save our souls if you're here this evening and you haven't obeyed the gospel we encourage you to do so don't be stubborn and hard-headed like Nebuchadnezzar don't go through all that he had to go through those type things uh, you won't have any miraculous things happen to you but things will happen things do happen it's so much better just to submit to God, especially when you're young. There's no better time than right now. Once you reach that age of accountability, it's best right then to be just like Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Humbly submit to the will of God by believing that Jesus Christ is Son of God, by repenting of all your sins, by confessing Him before men to be the Son of God, and by being baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. And then strive to do the best you can, loving him and pleasing him all the days of your life. And when this life is over, heaven will be your home. If you're here and you need to respond, won't you come as together we stand and sing.